thank you all for joining us today. I hope you found uh, today's sessions to be helpful. I've uh, had a lot of good interaction with you today and got a lot of good feedback. So again, thank you for supporting us here at the association during our annual meeting. Erica, Clarence, thank you for joining me. I know um, we had dinner last night. We were able to talk a little bit about this, but let's go back to the start of, of the coronavirus. How did NLC, how did you change your operations when, when this hit and how did that affect your ability to provide services? Uh, well, first of all, Todd, uh, thanks to uh, the leaders uh, here today, as well as uh, my president, Kathy Maness from the National League of Cities, a South Carolinian, amazing. And, uh, you know, I'd like to welcome you all to a session that tells you how to manage, Todd and I are going to talk about how to manage your hair every day in 30 seconds. <laughs> so if you're ready for that, we're going we're gonna to do that. You know, I, I think... As we all reflect back, um, we couldn't have ever been ready for such a time in our life as we went through the last year or so. And when you reflect back, you're, you, sometimes, and I'm just being, I, when I have a conversation, I'm just real. I was really scared uh, for our country, uh, for my family, National League of Cities, and our communities around the world. Uh, because I didn't know if we could uh, react uh, as an organization, Todd. But we, what we found was that we were a lot more nimble and prepared uh, than we thought. It was because we had worked so many years on the infrastructure. Uh, we were able to go virtually. We were able to work remotely. And we still are partially uh, working remotely. And I think that as we started reflecting on uh, the pandemic, we went into overdrive. We said our responsibility as the world's greatest national municipal association, that was from the marketing guy this morning. In That's the, what I'm going to say. In the whole world. You know, we, uh, y'all got that now. So, um, so we didn't have a choice because we got calls every day from municipal leaders all over America saying, what do I do? How do I continue to provide services? How do our essential workers continue to um, feel safe and respond? Now, one thing I want us all to recognize, every municipal worker is an essential worker. I'm going to tell you something. We just think it's police. We just think it's fire, EMR. But our public works folks still had to go out every day. Our city halls never stopped opening. So when you talk to your residents, please acknowledge not just, and I'm, I love public safety. I love EMR, so don't get me wrong. But I also love all of the other employees that City Hall does not close, government does not close. So let's acknowledge that with our employees every day that we see them. But we did, we did have to uh, just move into gear because we had that responsibility. That was a part of our mission to give solutions and ideas and, and respond in a way that gave answers that said we can get through this as a, a national association working with our 49 state leagues uh, and other partners. 
So we just had to, had to move into uh, operational mode. So CARES Act passed, y'all remember we're, we're in ARP now, but we had CARES to begin with. And one of the biggest criticisms of CARES Act was that we couldn't use it for revenue replacement. Um, take us back through how CARES Act passed, what the lessons were for that, and then how, how you approached uh, your advocacy efforts for ARP. Yeah, I think um, as we look back on the CARES Act, it was uh, a good first step. And I'm gonna say that because I want everybody here to be clear. Um, we are a nonpartisan organization. I don't care who is president, I fight for cities. I'm proud to fight for communities, villages, towns all over America. And when uh, uh, President Trump proposed uh, the CARES Act, we were right there working with the administration to make sure that cities got money Towns got money. The one thing that was not uh, helpful in the CARES Act was that there were only, if you were over 500,000, you got direct money. If you were under 500,000, you had to either negotiate with the state or the county. Now, when I was a, a young kid, you know, my, my parents gave me allowance. Uh, but when I became a man, I can do my own thing. And we are grown folks. That money should have come to every city, town, and village. Every mayor, every council should have been able to get. So that was the difference, because then you had to go and beg the state, can you please give me some money, the county, hoping they would share dollars with you. But they had issues as well. So they were afraid to give that money to you because they did not know whether they were going to need it. The state wasn't sure, the county wasn't sure, so there wasn't much sharing uh, during the CARES Act. So what we learned was that when we got President Biden in, in office, we decided that this was our time, in the most historical time, to make a historical move. And we made the move to work with Congress and the administration, the senators, and said every city and town and village in America is able to manage and lead and know what gaps existed in their community and respond to those uh, gaps by giving us the monies directly. We heard the stories, and it may not have been your city, because a lot of cities will tell me we did not have an impact, and I get that. But I've never been to a city that don't have poor folks. Never. I've never been to a city that didn't have a gap in terms of health care. I've never seen a city that did not need dollars to help you with your water and wastewater system. Now, if that's a city or your transportation issues in your city, now you may not feel as if you had an impact as a city, but the people in your community, there's some impact. And those dollars could be used in such a creative way to address those gaps. And what we found through the pandemic was this. We saw where there were existing gaps, especially in the communities of color. And so if it's jobs, if it's healthcare, is it small businesses? 
You know, when I visited Lexington, they were doing creative things to help people, small businesses, during the pandemic by giving resources and monies to help people get and use the businesses. Now, you may say, well, we didn't have an impact. There were businesses in those communities that had impact. And so the ARPA, ARP funds, really is about equity as well. Figuring out, reimagining what can we do that we said we couldn't do before because we didn't have money. This is a time you reach deep and in a way that's gonna reimagine your community where you will be able to say we are the best in the world globally. That's my vision. That's why I'm so excited about the dollars. Let's not, let's not just do things that we feel like we gotta keep going over and over and replenish it. This is an opportunity now, as they would say years ago, um, you know, let's, let's throw everything out on the table. In this virtual world, there's no more table. Man, that means you can do almost anything you want with these dollars that is based upon the guidelines of Treasury. So I don't want y'all to go out there and doing some yeah, crazy stuff. Right. But <laughs> I just want us to do something different. Listen, you know, I use this term DSD, do, doing something different. Just get a vision about this. I'm, I'm pumped up about this opportunity. I really am. I couldn't tell. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> One of the victories that I think um, that you had on the national scale was from CARES Act to ARP was advocating for lessons learned from CARES Act, send the money directly to our local governments. That was a victory in the bill and that that had never been done before. We in South Carolina are not the recipients of that victory yet because we, we're struggling still as an association to, to get our state to draw down this money and send it out to our cities and uh, towns. Are you seeing this across the nation? Are we unique here in South Carolina? What else are you seeing across the country? Um, all but 11 states and uh, South Carolina is one of those states that have not pulled the money down. There are a number of states, uh, in addition, have asked for an extension, uh, and they've been granted a 30-day extension uh, to work on uh, a plan to draw that money down. And so, um, you know, th that, that is an issue, and it's, in, um, it's difficult to watch that we've worked so hard, all of us in this room, um, to get those dollars. And I'm gonna stand for a minute. <laughs> Let me tell y'all something. Y'all need to be outraged. You need to come together. Now this is not, you need to come together, not as politicians, but residents of the state of Florida and demand that the dollars that have been allocated, uh, South Carolina, I'm from Florida, oh God, I'm from Florida. Um, That's an old I'm a former mayor. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a former mayor in Florida, so y'all, <laughs> but in South Carolina, I hope that you will demand the respect that you deserve as leaders of your cities and towns.
You demand the respect that as a mayor, you were elected, as a council member, you were elected by the people of your community to represent you and represent them. And I am so hopeful that when you leave this meeting, you are so inspired as one group, as one voice, committed in a way to write letters, to make calls, and to get your residents excited about this. We need to get back to work, and as Kathy said, so that we can respond, recover, and rebuild our communities in a way that we've been hearing all day about. The marketing strategies, the reimagining how your community can be that place where your kids would want to come back. That's why I'm so passionate about public policy. It makes a difference, and we can make that difference in our state here in South Carolina. I truly believe this, and I'm gonna help any way I can. Todd and I are partners. Erica works with our team, and we want to work with you. But it starts with us in this room as one state association with one message that says, release the dollars so that we can work in our community. And to me, and to me, it's about respect. It really is, because I respect every municipal official in this room. And you are mayors and council members in your city, and you are just as important, that, more important than any other level in our nation. If local government does not come back and respond, our nation will not respond. So I'm excited about working with you all, but we gotta leave out of this place with some attitude that we demand that these dollars be released. I don't know if it will work, but I can tell you one thing. I always leave it all out on the field. And I give all I have for my, my residents when I was mayor. And I know you will do the same. We, uh, thank you for that. We, um, what we've indicated to our state is that our concern is the longer they wait to give our local governments their money. If y'all remember back during the American Recovery Plan back in 08 under the Obama administration, do you remember how hard it was to find contractors to do the work because everybody had work? And the cost to do the projects rose. And if you look at the inflation that's going on right now, the longer we wait, the inflation goes up, there's a lack of contractors available. So what we end up with is about 75 cents on the dollar of what our actual allocation is. Erica, this is Erica Wright. She's on our staff, one of our uh, newest members in our advocacy team. And she is involved in our federal uh, work that I mentioned this morning. And so she has become the, the staff guru of, of ARP. So Erica, take us through how you've been working with NLC, and then we're gonna start transitioning into your slides, because I know you've got some information sure that, that, yes. that these folks are waiting to hear. But. Sure, thanks Todd. I'll, I'll take it back to when I started. I'm fairly new to Columbia and the Municipal Association, about a year in. I moved from North Charleston to Columbia, and yes, I heard you. <laughs> And one of the, it was the middle of the pandemic, the middle of it. And so the need for us to have 
those direct relationships with our congressional delegation was key, and that's something that Todd tasked me to do. And so the first person I reached out to is Irma, and Irma is on your team, and she, is the, she leads up your federal advocacy team. And that ability to be able to have that direct relationship with all of our congressional members, with our two senators and their staffs, as well as NLC, has been key. Uh, I am a cell phone user of Irma, and I am unapologetic about it. And so we share information. NLC has done a great job of distilling the information to us, and we share it with you. So if you've been on our website, you know that every update that we get from Treasury is on our website. All of the information that you need right now, the to-do list, we sent that out via email for those, <clears throat> excuse me, those 17 metropolitan cities. We sent that out to you directly because we knew you were getting your funds in a direct manner. Um, we use the podcast. Anything that we can do to get the information out to you, we have done that. And I was told by our communications team that our ARP podcast is like the top producing podcast of the Municipal Association. So thanks for listening. But we, our job is to use our listservs, to use our website, to use our emails, to communicate to you what we're getting from our congressional delegation, how we're working here at the State House, how we're advocating on your behalf, both in DC at the State House level, and communicate that with you. And it's a two-way street. I appreciate, I feel like I've spoken to half of the people in this room, either by phone call or email, and we need that to continue. So if you have questions, please filter them to me. If I don't know the answer, y'all already know me by now, I'm going to get it. I'm probably going to call Irma or somebody, but I'm going to get it. And that partnership that we have, that the Municipal Association has with NLC, I think is vital, is key, and something that you all should be proud of. Thank you. I'm going to change things up on the fly here. Uh, dangerous. Um, let's let's let go ahead and get let Erica get into her slides. I told you earlier we were going to step down. Let's stay up here. Yes. Let's get through this because I'm guessing there's probably some questions in the audience. So if we could have some time to free up and allow uh, some questions for you, I think that would be okay. excellent. Okay. Well, I'm going to stand for this. I know there are, and I'm going to ask you to bear with me because there are varying degrees of understanding when it comes to the American Rescue Plan. There are some of you that have heard me talk about this in Columbia. You've heard me present on this in Myrtle Beach. You've been on conference calls that we have, have had. And then there are some of you who may just be learning about the American Rescue Plan. So hopefully everyone walks away with something. Even if you're hearing this for the second or third time, I believe there's something that everybody here can walk away from. And then as Clarence said, we need to pull together and we're gonna give some, some ideas on how we can do that. And so what we're talking about, the American Rescue Plan is huge. It's that $1.9 trillion federal piece of legislation that was passed in March of this year by President Biden. And it touched so many lives in so many different ways. Uh, many of your residents uh, received the $1,400 stimulus checks. There's so many pieces of the American Rescue Plan. But what we're talking about is this local fiscal recovery fund. And thanks to the advocacy of NLC, every city and town in South Carolina is going to receive an allocation from this. Some of you already have had your allocation, and some of you are waiting for yours. So the way, and I got this question today, so I'm going to break this down. The way that the legislation divides cities and towns is in two buckets. You're either going to be a metropolitan city, and we have 17 of you in the state of South Carolina. As a metropolitan city, you are classified that way because either your population exceeds 
50,000 residents, or you qualify for and accept CDBG funds. Even if you defer your entitlement status you, and have less than 50,000 residents, you are deemed a metropolitan city for the American Rescue Plan. And so those allocations, as you can see here, are based on population, your housing instability, and poverty. But as a metropolitan city, you were a direct recipient of ARP funds directly from the US Department of Treasury. That means you were able, if you haven't already done so, I believe all of you have pulled down your first tranche of funds, but you were able to go into the Treasury submission portal, request your city's portion, and now you have access to that. The other 254 known by the legislation as non-entitlement units of local government, we are still waiting on those funds. And I'll get to that in a little bit. You can see uh, what those allocations were based on. Very simple formula here. I can't say that the formula for Metro Cities was this easy, but we've done the work for you. If you go to our website, we have your allocations listed on our website. Small caveat, you can only at this moment get 75% of your last pre-pandemic budget dated January 27, 2020. So even if you see your allocation there on your website, you're gonna cap that at 75% of that budget. All cities and towns, and I've been talking a lot with you about this, you're gonna see a number, whether you're a metropolitan city or whether you're a non-entitlement unit of government, you're gonna get your money in two payments. The first, as soon as you pull it down, if you're a metropolitan city, or as soon as South Carolina releases your funds. Your next tranche is what the legislation is calling it, will come to you 12 months later. So as you're looking at what can I do with these funds, remember you won't get it all in one payment, but it'll be broken in two. Reporting is required, and we'll get into reporting in a little bit, and then your funds must be obligated by the end of 2024 and spent by the end of 2026. So many of you are making your plans, you're asking how are we going to spend this money, we've got some help for you here. We sent this information to you, but I wanted you to see it just in case you particular have not seen it. These are documents that you're going to need. Non-entitlement cities, this is mainly for you. Metro cities, you've already done this to draw down your first tranche of funds. All of this is on our website. We sent this to you via email. And I know that you have it. I, hear, I get calls from you. I have my Dunn's number. I have my Sam's number. Erica, what do I need to do? And that's what we're going to talk about as we conclude this presentation. The question that everybody wants to know, and I know that you get this too, is allowable uses. And I'm going to kind of change the game a little bit. I think we have a really good way as helpful as it can be, understanding that there still are a lot of questions with how to utilize these funds. But I have, I think, what is a good tool to help you measure what you want to spend your money on against what's allowed in the rule that was released by Treasury. So first, let me do this plug. The information released by Treasury is vital. Everything is on our website. I would highly encourage you to read it. The interim final rule, and I say interim because it's just that. Uh, Treasury produced about, they had 60 days to produce rules for the American Rescue Plan. On day 59, we received the interim final rule, and that's exactly what it is, it's interim. Treasury was receiving comments from cities and towns. NLC did a great job of sending letters on how we wanted to see the uh, final rule shape up. So 
it's interim, but it is going to change based on those comments. And I'll talk about a few of those. I read that letter and I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> so frequently asked questions. I tell the story, I went into a conference room just to separate myself from computer and email. And I just read through everything that was produced from Treasury only to get back to my office. And there was a new wave of information that had just come out. So we went right back to the conference room and did it again. But this, I want you to really pay attention to the frequently asked questions. Those are the questions that you are submitting to Treasury. We have the way for you to do that on our website. The questions that you ask, and if I don't know the answer, I email Treasury, get the answer, tell you, and then those appear in the frequently asked questions, so those are important. Your allocations, they're on our website. Reporting and compliance guidance, that came out about a month and a half ago, and that is going to be the key right now for your allowable uses and, of course, our website. Funding, what is this money for? These are your objectives here on the screen. This is the American Rescue Plan. It is to help you recover from the COVID-19 pandemic. So your expenses will need to fit into one of these four objectives, okay? So what does that mean? If you looked at the reporting document, it's a 34-page document that came out from Treasury about a month and a half ago, and it's gonna walk you through how to make your reports. But here's the thing. Every expenditure that you make using ARP dollars is going to have to fit into one of these seven expenditure categories. This is it. And I'll take a caveat, I do have some informational reporting that's really going to help you, but we are still waiting on some information from Treasury that will be released before your first report is due. Metropolitan cities, heads up, your first report is due next month, August 31st. But we've got you, NLC's got you, and we're gonna walk you through what you need to do. So these are your expenditure categories. Anything that you're looking to do needs to fit, and you need to be able to make the case in one of these seven categories. Now, once you look at the seven categories, there's going to be subcategories. So I took infrastructure, for example. Once you select infrastructure, there are going to be an under infrastructure, there are 17 subcategories. You are going to need to be able to trace that expenditure to that subcategory. So for those asking, is this an allowable use? Is this okay? I would highly encourage you to pull up that reporting and compliance document and see if your expenditure that you're looking to do aligns with one of these expenditure categories. Now, because we're sticking with infrastructure and we went here with water, you know that infrastructure in the American Rescue Plan is water, sewer, broadband. Well, the question is, how do I know if what I want to do with water aligns with one of these subcategories? Well, that's where the interim final rule comes into play because it lays out the rules for each category. And here, projects that are eligible under the Clean Water State Revolving Fund and that Drinking Water State Revolving Fund are eligible. So when you go onto our website, there's a link to the EPA, and the list of those projects are there. We do think that this list is going to expand thanks to NLC's comments, and we'll keep you posted on that. Ineligible uses of funds, these are here. This is what right now you cannot use your ARP dollars for. You cannot use it to offset taxes, pensions, debt services. But one thing I do want to say and really lift up the NLC, one of the 
uh, expenses or one of the ineligible uses of funds is to place it in your savings account or your rainy day funds. Well, NLC made the, the argument that many of you had to pull from your rainy day funds, I see a lot of nodding heads, to be able to service your residents. And so you should be able to replenish what you put out through that. And so thank you so much for making that to Treasury and because of the relationship that you have with Treasury, I'm optimistic. I'm always the optimistic one here at the Municipal That's Association. Very true. But, very true. But I'm hoping that we'll <laughs> see, that, see that change. And so as soon as that uh, interim final rule becomes the final rule, we'll distill it down, we'll communicate that with you. Reporting, and I'll touch on this real quick. I did mention metropolitan cities. There are 17 of you. Your first report is due August 31st of this year, and that is an interim report. You are going to report on categories at the summary level. Those same seven uh, expenditure categories, you're going to summarize what you spent. I told y'all this before, even if you haven't spent anything, note that. Go ahead and say we haven't spent anything yet. Even if your report is zero, that's better than letting that deadline go by and you have not submitted anything. Um, Treasury, about two months ago, did a series of webinars for how to utilize or how to submit your reports, and that was only for Metro Cities. And we communicated that through our listservs. If you are not um, active with the MASC listservs, please don't leave here without seeing a member of our staff. It's a great way to communicate with each other based on your roles within your municipalities, but also a great way for us to share information with you. So those webinars happened. They were only for metropolitan cities. Those uh, same, well, Treasury will do uh, webinars for non-entitlement units of government. And as soon as we have the dates on that, we'll also share those with you. But one of the things that we noted through those is that Treasury owes us, and they promised that they'll get it to us, is a user guide. So how, your first report is August 31st. How do you submit that? And we're sure that we'll get that user guide shortly, and we'll share it with you and walk you through it so that you know what you need to do to submit that first report. Non-entitlement units of government, there's no interim report needed. Then the P&E expenditure report. That's the project and expenditure report. That's always going to be due October 31st, and that includes this year. And they broke that down. So Metro cities who received more than $5 million in ARPA funds, you're going to need to produce this report every quarter. For Metro cities that receive less than $5 million in ARPA funds, you're going to produce this report annually. Non-entitlement units of government, so will you. And so we'll have information on how to do that. Now let's talk a little bit about advocacy. And I felt like I was back at my home church while you was up here, <laughs> preach. Like I'm gonna cash out you will offer it after this. But it was, Bring it on. It, right, right. It was so good and that's what we need to do. So here's the deal. We talked about the 17 units of government, the 17 metropolitan cities. You all were able to go into the treasury submission portal, draw down your first tranche of funds, and you're good. There are 254 cities that are waiting. Here's why. The legislation required, has attached your funds, so there's 435 million that is assigned to South Carolina cities and towns, non-entitlement units of government. 
You get that once the state of South Carolina pulls down its $2.5 billion from the state fiscal recovery fund. It's attached. So if the state doesn't pull down its money, we can't get our money. And I say ours because it's mine too when we, we advocate for you. And so 17 got their, got their funds, that's great, but we need all of our cities and towns to have theirs. So here's where we are. We have communicated with staff at the House of Representatives, the Ways and Means uh, Committee, the Senate Finance Committee. Many of you know, and if you don't know, I need you to put this on your calendar. The Senate Finance Committee has a subcommittee hearing on ARP funds August 3rd at 1030. They called us before even calling the meeting. Todd is going to testify. I will be there. We have been on the phone with members of the legislature. We have spoken. I have spoken to the governor. Todd has as well to release the funds. So what has happened is the Department of Administration is hesitant to draw down the funds because they don't feel that they have the green light to do so from the General Assembly. So we went to the General Assembly, hey guys, can you give them the green light that they need so they can draw down the funds? And sadly, it just became a gridlock and a game of politics, quite honestly. And so we're working to get those funds released. Here's what you can do to help us. Contact your legislators. It works. I have gotten so many calls from House members and Senate members who say, hey, my mayors are calling me. What's going on? And I'm able to say, well, actually, sir, here's the deal. We need you to talk to your House Ways and Means staffers and your leadership in the House Ways and Means Committee and the Senate Finance and get the Department of Administration the green light to pull down our funds. Even if you don't know what you're going to do with the state's portion yet, draw it down, put it into an interest-bearing account, and give us our funds. So thank you to all of you who have been hitting hard your House members, they literally call me and want to know what's all this fuss I'm hearing from back home. Go hard, continue to do that. And that's how you can help us. Tune in to that subcommittee meeting on August 3rd, and let's do this together. Questions. By now, most of you know me, even if you've never met me, you know my, my email, I hear some laughing, you know my voice on the phone, we've spoken. Continue to call me, Jeff Shacker, Charlie Barano. We're here to help, and we've got you covered with whatever you need. So with that, hopefully you all know I'm here for you, that you, if you need anything, you can contact me. But I'm well, thank, good. Thank you. We'll, uh, <laughs> thank you. As you can see, wow. uh, she, Erica has fully immersed herself in, into this and is really knowledgeable about it. I would add that um, what we're hearing back from the state at this point is that there's a reluctance that some of our smallest cities and towns would not be able to spend the money in correctly. That's what that's what we're that's the feedback we're getting. And and um, so our response is, and what what we're getting indicated to us right now is that more than likely this this these funds will not be drawn down until at least September. That's right, and I'm sorry, I forgot to mention that. So the General Assembly, they adjourn sine die, and through that uh, resolution that has them coming back to Columbia in September to take up the American Rescue Plan, and that is when they'll likely give the go-ahead to draw down the funds. And September just is not okay 
when you know that 17 cities and towns got their money months ago. And so that's why we're having this conversation. And so what we've been in, our association started a conversation with Guidehouse, who, who the state of South Carolina has contracted with to help uh, with CARES Act and now with ARP. So we reached out to them and said, how much would it cost us for y'all to help our cities with expenditures, the reporting, knowing whether or not these projects, it was really too expensive for us uh, to handle it. So we're still evaluating methods that we may try to find a way to uh, bring on some consultant, at least a hotline that you can call and say, is this an eligible expense? We don't want to do something that, that gets us into a position where we're having to pay back the money. We've told the state, if you're going to make us wait till September anyway, go ahead and draw down the money and draw interest on it and use the interest money to pay a consultant to help our cities and towns. Mm -hmm. uh, if we've gotten to wait this amount of time anyway, let's make something good out of this. And, um, but we'll, we'll see where this goes. Again, we'll, we're going on uh, August 3rd before the Senate subcommittee. So with that being said, uh, also let me say this. We know that there are six of you um, who were originally listed in the non-entitlement units that were switched over uh, to the metro cities. That's happened across the country. I know we've had a call with the executive directors and NLC discussing that. The issue for us in South Carolina, it affected us in some ways more than any other state. Two of the top five cities in the country by percentage cut were in South Carolina, and that was Bluffton and Mount Pleasant. And when you take the six of the, the cities in our state that were moved, they were originally listed with a, an allocation in the non-entitlement uh, units, they were moved to the metro cities. Those six cities collectively lost $68 million. Um, and so Mount Pleasant alone went from 33, I think, million to 7 million. Um, so we also realize that there's an issue there and we're working on the advocacy for, for that end as well. So with all of that being said, I did want us to have some time for some questions. So let's open up the floor to, uh, for some questions. Yes, sir. Can anything happen to green light this money before the legislature comes back? We've been trying. We, we've spoken. One of the things we, quite honestly, the Department of Administration falls under the governor. And so we reached out thinking that the governor could give the okay for his cabinet secretary to pull down the funds. We can go that route. And we've spoken to his staff. And I've spoken to him. I kind of cornered him after an Accelerate SC meeting. And we've got nothing. There's like this hesitancy. Now, let me explain this, and I've shared this with him and the rest of that task force. There's nothing that the state can do to change your allocation, nor can they tack on any additional um, loopholes for you to go through. Here's what I do think is happening. Treasury is requiring states to do a lot to distribute those funds to you. And I... I don't want to speak ill, I'm just not sure where the department is and setting up that process just yet. And so could be buying time. And so short answer to your question, we're trying. Uh, Scott mentioned Senator McLeod sent an official letter, sent us a copy. She called us first, wanted to know what was going on. And she sent a, a letter to the Department of Administration asking that they draw down the funds. 
where you all are calling, I know that you are, you tell me who you've spoken to, it's just gridlock right now. And, and here's the issue that makes us think it's a general assembly issue. Um, the Department of Administration, as, as Erica indicated in her slides, the ARP, your allocation is limited to no more than 75% of your annual budget. So there is going to have to be some type of certification process when you draw down that money that you're not getting more than 75% of your annual budget. The state is intending to contract with Guidehouse as they did under the CARES Act mm -hmm. to use them with the portal to, uh, to certify that 75% threshold. The problem with that is that until the General Assembly acts and, down, and draws down that money, the state can't contract with Guidehouse. So even when the state does draw down the money, we're gonna to have to wait a longer period of time because then they're gonna contract with Guidehouse to bring this portal up. So we're, we're not sure how long that takes to bring that up. It could be 30 days, it could be 90 days, we're, we're not sure. Um, so there's a possibility that when the state draws down that money, we do think it's a General Assembly issue because they would have to issue the funding for the Department of Administration to contract with Guidehouse for that. And, and I'm like Erica, I, I'm optimistic. I, I do believe, I truly believe the dollars are going to come. And so what would I recommend we do um, while we plan for those dollars? And that's what we need to do is to get our stakeholders, uh, figure out where do we wanna focus on the business community, health issues, transportation, water systems, what are the things that you want to focus on once the dollars get to you? Because if it is not, if they're not um, in, incurred and identified in a way in which by a plan, those dollars could be pulled back from you, clawed back, and we don't wanna see that. But I will tell you, don't spend nothing you ain't got yet. So let's just hold on. But I do believe, I truly know that the dollars are gonna come. But this is a planning time and an infrastructure time. Don's numbers, Sam's numbers, all of those things, you're gonna have to be um, structured in a way like a business to be able to receive those dollars mm -hmm. as well as uh, abide by the guidelines. So that's important at this time. Uh, uh, I, you know, as I look around this room, I don't think there's a person in this room who can't figure out 75% of their budget for last year. I don't think there's not a person in this room who can't do that math. Okay? They are slow walking it, and quite frankly, Governor McMaster has the ability to say to the budget control office, go ahead and bring the money down, put it in the treasury so they can start drawing interest off it while we try to figure out what to do with our 2.9 or 2.4 billion dollars, okay? I listened to the Accelerate South Carolina meeting yesterday and they were sitting there talking about, well, how about if we did some uh, beach renourishment with some of that money? How about if we do some, uh, let's widen I-26 because we got this deep water port down in Charleston and we need to get the commerce up to, you know, up to, up to Columbia. All those things are great and some of those things are not applicable by the legislation that they put in from the treasury. Now, if you know this and you know what our guidelines are and we can do the simple math 
of calculating 75% of our last year's budget. What is the problem? The problem is they're slow walking it. For some reason, I don't know why, we need to, as a community, as, a, as all these towns, we need to get together and begin the legal process to sue the hell out of the state. And say, let somebody come. I am also the president of the Lexington County Municipal Association, and my 26 towns in Lexington County is prepared to start that process because guess what? We know how to spend that money. We read that legislation. We know how to calculate 75% of our last year's budget, and we're ready to put those things that we need for our towns to recover from, our, from the pandemic. We know how to do that. Well, I, I agree with Thank you, you, Mayor. And Why can't we incentivize government master or the House Ways and Means Committee to go ahead and give the Budget Control Office the authority to draw down the money, put it in the Treasury, and let them figure out what to do with their $2.5 billion? Two, two issues there, and I, I agree with you, Mayor. It's, you know, the, to say that our cities and towns can't spend this money correctly you know, the county's got their money directly. And what's to say that any of them wouldn't spend it incorrectly? I mean, this is, they've already gotten their money. They got it straight from the federal government. And we know that counties, and we see it in the news, they're capable of, of doing, uh, spending things the wrong way as well. I think the issue of the legal part is that the state is within their right not to draw down the money right now. And so, I, I, Clarence, you might can to, uh, weigh in on that, but the, we've looked at that, but there's really no legal avenue that, no. because they're not, they're not outside of what they can do within the act. Uh, and I think that's the problem for us. There's really no mechanism other than all of us calling our local delegations to, to get this moving inside of the legislature to, to, to force that action. I agree. Because there may be other questions. <laughs> yes? If, if um, we are NLC member cities, what additional support are you guys prepared to give us on the reporting and spending money? Please repeat the question. Yeah, um, if, if you, yes, uh, uh, Council Member Tamika Devine, Isaac Devine. Uh, is, uh, has asked the question, if you're an M NLC member, what additional benefits uh, do you get? Um, first of all, I want, thank you for that softball. I want everybody uh, to join the National League of Cities. So that's an easy one. Um, right now, I'll be honest with you, I am working hard for all of the cities and, uh, and the towns so that um, we can use this formula again. It is a historical formula that every city and town in America is going to get some uh, level of dollars, whether it's Norway or Sally who gets 150, 160,000. That may sound like a, not that much money, but that's a lot of money for those two mayors who I spoke to. Or, um, you know, we, we met with the mayor of Hilton Head. Uh, who is going to get about, what, Kathy, 5.2 million? Um, and and, and that's, a, that's significant, significant dollars. And we want to help in any way we can 
because we have to manage this money the right way so that when the infrastructure bill or another bill comes along, we want to be able to say, city and town leaders in America know how to run their business, know how to operate a city and a town, all of us. And we have to balance our budgets where other levels don't have to balance their budgets every year. So we do that every year. Um, so we want to help everybody, and, um, but I do would like to encourage you guys because there is a portal in our website that is a, a members only uh, benefit uh, part in there as well. We, we know there are additional questions, but we got a late start and we are run over time. So um, we, the three of us will we'll head to the hallway and if y'all want to ask us, continue to ask us those questions, we'll, we'll answer them there. Thank you, Clarence. No, Welcome. Thank you, Always guys. great to have you. All right. Thank you guys for having thank me. Thank you, Erica. Thank you. Appreciate it.